Okay, ready? Take what you know and it's about a time when you get yourself in we are. I want to know something she's I think about everyone you need. I'm holding it. Things are moving real now. I have seen you wanting you. Hey. The tour ratio. Okay, though. The tour ratio. Okay, though. That might be the best question I've ever been asked. <laughs> You's a phenomenal person. I mean, you legendary. I am a fan of you, my brother. Here's what I'll say. This topic needs like a thousand seminars at a thousand universities forever just for us to begin to unpack what I think is really the 30,000 foot view, which is capitalism, racism, all, everything we were in the streets protesting, you know, every, all the ways in which we understand devaluing George Floyd's life to the point where we let, you know, I mean, I was thinking I'm from New York and I'm back here with you and, uh, New York has a military, the police department is bigger than most armies of most countries. That's right. We have a system where we allow the deep, such devaluing of black lives in particular, that we all came, we all flooded the streets, the whole world. Mm -hmm. To me, if we could have an honest conversation about the sex industry, you know, sex work, prostitution, whatever we want to call it. We would see that the racial issues, the poverty issues, the deep, you know, the, the mis same misogyny we're seeing around Roe v. Wade, it's all in this one issue. It's sort of the canary in the coal mine for everything else. But because we look away and everybody's like, oh, I don't, I don't do that. I want to be like, um, Pornhub is on your browser. <laughs> like, you, you know what I mean? But we don't want to talk about it. And so we're missing this amazing opportunity, I think, to have a really honest conversation that would bring us all closer to each other. Sarah Jones is an extraordinary actress who's back with a new film that she directed and stars in called Sell by Date, where she explores the sex worker industry from every possible facet, trying to figure out, is sex work empowering for women or is it just exploitation? It's a really fascinating look at the sex work industry with an old friend of mine who is an extraordinary actress. It's Sarah Jones on Touré Show. So, Sell By Date, you made a film about the sex worker industry. Why? Right, like the sex industry. Why did I do that? You sound like my agent. We could be making so much more money if you just... No, that's terrible. Um, I wanted to have, you know, they, they call it the oldest profession, yep. right? I mean, prostitution, yep. but like the sex industry yep. more broadly. And it, it's not so much the oldest profession as the oldest conversation none of us are having, even mm. though it's everywhere, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. It's everywhere. It's only fans. It's you're the wholesome family who goes to a football game and then goes to Hooters, like, you know, you're going to have some sex industry with a side of those wings. Oh, you're including Hooters I within the sex industry? Strip, so think about it. There is a line up to which we walk as a society that I would say is probably like lingerie, right? Strutting up and down the Victoria's Secret one runway okay. as, as one did back in the day. I feel like people would be like, no, that's not really. But if you're talking about exotic dancing, if you're talking about topless, you know, waitressing or like waitressing where your boobs are part of the gig, uh, to me, it is a false separation to say, oh, well, if you're stripping, then that's different than, you know, being an escort, which is different than being a cam girl, which is different than being, all of it is along a continuum of how we as women for very good reasons, have learned to move in a system that commodifies our bodies and yeah. sex. Yeah. And so to me, I, I thought about stripping in college. I was like, it's ironic. I'm going to wear my Doc Martens, but very little else. And I'm going to be like, you know, a badass. I'm going to shake my ass, but it's going to be feminist. You know, I had these thoughts of like how to be an empowered woman and enjoy my sexuality and make money from that shit. And I was like, this, you know, it, it was like at the time, 
we were pre Nicki Minaj, mm-hmm, like pre mm-hmm. have, you know, but the Lil' Kim, like the, there was a clear messaging that was like, I can rhyme and also well, please to enjoy these titties. Well, like hip, that was part of it. Hip hop is like either I am like pure and above that. Right. L- like Lauren Hill, Lauren Queen Hill. Latifah. Yep. Like, like I am goddess. Right. I am right? goddess. Like, like right. you know. Or it's sort of perceived as asexual almost. Right. That was the yes, feeling. Yes. Yep. Or, or I am straight from the strip club. Yes. I am straight from male fantasy yes. of the side chick who can rap. Right. Who will do whatever. Do whatever. Right. Coke can in your mouth. And here's the thing. Hip hop was a big part of my lens, but mm-hmm. I was very clear that Larry Flint had nothing to do with hip hop. He was a publisher sure. of, of Penthouse, right? Except, except he ran a he had a hip hop magazine. Except for that part. Sorry, yeah. Larry, I didn't mean to discount your achievements. <laughs> um, no idea, but I knew that the Hugh Hefner meets Snoop aesthetic, right? Like, I think at least for me, I always felt like it was so distinctly racist to hear people who were claiming to care about women and girls say things like, well, hip hop is so misogynist, blah, blah, and ignore, right? Like, I don't know, the entire rock and roll canon of like, she was 16, you know, I smashed it. I don't think that was the word at the time, but you know, to me, it was like, wait a minute, let's all have all of the men's please take responsibility for a larger conversation about women, sex, power, and how, you know, we commodify, how we objectify. You remind me of a conversation I had with my wife before we had kids. Uh-huh. And I remember saying, like, what would be the big deal if I took the kids to lunch at Hooters? Like, what? and she's like, she's like, that would be akin to taking them to a strip club. And I'm like, no, no it's, it's not. not. The They're wings, fully clothed. The, the, the wings are good. The, they are bring, good. the ranch, <laughs> like, it's just, what's the problem here? <laughs> right, the whole tack, like, fully delightfully clothed. tacky, right? right? Delightful, right. Ironic, right? right? Yeah. I mean, it, you know, and yeah, they do come over and like kind of put them on the table. They kind like, of flip it. I mean, I'm sure little kids are like, wait, which am I eating? Like, am I eating? Like, is it feeding time for me? Yeah, or the- like, yeah. hell no, you can never do that. I'm yeah. like, why? What's wrong deal? with her? This is perfect. I love that but you had that conversation. You, that you're like, no, that's on the continuum. 100%. Yeah. And to me, the fact that we want to shame women who are escorts or, you know, other in the industry in a much, if they have an OnlyFans account, if they, you know, are fully stripping or whatever, to me, I don't know. The only difference is chicken. See, there's little ways that, let's say that world pokes into the rest of the world, right? For a lot of <laughs> so men speak. my age, yeah. seeing Princess Leia uh-huh. like chained up. <laughs> right, what right. Th- That was BDSM. about that. And we didn't know what we were watching, right. but we were deeply moved like, what, what the hell is that? Like a hot girl chained up? Like, right. I love this and I don't even know why. I don't know what to call it. That's so and that's like the first time right. a lot of us had encountered that. That's so And like stored it away and like maybe I want to revisit it. Like, let's let's know. bookmark this for later. So what's so funny. So I missed, I'm just young enough that I, so my dad, I remember it was like, we're going to wait online and watch the premiere. And I was like a baby or something. And, you know, I think, my, whatever, i Parenting issues aside, I sort of missed the whole Princess Leia as sex object thing until recently when I was doing research into, you know, really basic things. For example, Barbie. I didn't know the Barbie doll, of which I had many, was based on a, a, a Lily doll. Lily was a German prostitute in World War II. And the reason Barbie is giving all of this has everything to do with sex work or, you know, whatever. There's so many terms and it's so complicated. And even as I speak, I'm like, please don't be mad at me, my sex worker friends who I love and you know I love you and I trust well, you, but there, yeah. Part of the undercurrent of sell-by date is this argument that's going on. Yeah. Folk, uh, people who are not in sex work right. saying, why are you telling the story? Right. People who are in sex work saying, why are you telling our story? Yep. So you're kind of getting it from both sides. Yes. But then others saying, Thank you. Right. So you're, you're sort of getting every reaction from every community. Yes, it was a workout. Like <laughs> I just sort of felt like, okay, this is the existential equivalent of like, you know, Pilates. It yep. just was like, I am fascinated by this topic because it's adjacent to me in mm-hmm. ways that folks will find out when they see the film. But 
I really kind of wasn't aware. And I think that's what's been so fascinating to me as the director of the film, but also being in it. I had my own kind of inside and outside relationship to this topic. And people keep reaching out to me now that they're seeing it and saying, my wife just told me she stripped in college. I had no idea. She never mentioned it. We've been married for X years. And she just never thought she should mention it. And now we're talking about it. And it's not my wife is, you know, like I think what I hope the movie helps do is is really help us see how much we stigmatize and slut shame women mm-hmm. for doing what men have, you know, like delighted in and been celebrated for forever, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that's one piece of it. If nothing else, if we just stop, if we, I was on a, a podcast with a woman who's a French speaker and she was saying, putain, that word means whore and mm-hmm. it is the blanket curse word for anything that goes wrong. <laughs> if your car breaks, <laughs> putain, putain, putain. <laughs> in Spanish, puta, puta, puta. Like all, basically if you want to say something is terrible, you say whore. And I would love us to stop fucking doing that. And you point out in the film how sex workers, aka whores, can be killed. And okay. people look at it like it's nothing. It's kind of okay. It's kind and of okay. Kind it's of, kind of funny. And they're kind of vulnerable. They're caricatures. To killed. It seems like that's the sort of person who's killable Very in some killable. bizarre way. Very killable. And it, there's a whole kind of canon of films, literature. Um, examples of women who, for whatever reason, have chosen or have ended up in the life becoming these totally expendable, you know, uh, side plots or like, oh, I mean, I remember watching The Sopranos mm-hmm. in the, whenever it was, the 2000s, and I think a woman gets, ch- it's so violent. It's yeah. so incredibly yeah, yeah. horrific. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. yet we're supposed to empathize with Tony. Or whoever it was that was doing the choking, I just remember thinking something's really wrong here. Mm. That we don't see the humanity of this person, even in a narrative form. We're sort of like, well, you made me think about um, the Wayne Brady episode of mm. Chappelle's show, mm, my where God. he's like, you know, is Wayne Brady going to have to choke a bitch? Which he didn't want to say, right? He but didn't it's like the say line it. that people like remember. It became Wayne Brady's like, whole. Yeah. Don't make Wayne Brady have to choke but, a bitch. And the thing is, it was funny. I hate to say this, yes, at but the time, I can be mean and threaten violence to a sex worker who's just saying, "I hate, I haven't gotten that many Johns tonight," and it's funny. Right? It was funny. I laughed at the time. I will say, I remember being uncomfortable. I remember there was some part of me that was like, "This mm. is really painful." I'm, I see the funny in it, but it's painful. And I'll, I'll make an, another thing that I actually didn't get to put into the film. It was in the play, but. You know, when people were playing a ton of um, GTA, Grand Theft Auto, mm-hmm. a certain generation of boys especially, but everybody was playing this video game, you could kill, you could find, you got all these points for finding and killing prostitutes. And it was a huge mm-hmm. part of the game. And kids are like nine, 10, killing hookers and mm-hmm. making points. And I just thought something is off that we claim to be such a puritanical society. We, you know, or we, I'm not proud of the puritanical thing, but it's very like, Nobody can see a nipple ever anywhere, never, never. but you can, as somebody says it in the movie, you can carjack, you can, you know, murder women with impunity as long as she's a dirty whore. So you go through this journey, you're kind of asking yourself and others, is sex work empowering or exploitative? Right. So where do you, and, and it's obviously some of both, but do you land more on one side than the other? Yeah, we say in the film, that I'm kind of a hovercraft. Like mm-hmm. I, I, my goal is to not plant a flag anywhere Okay. because I don't fucking, you know, here's the thing. I learned so much interviewing the people who I did for the play. And then in the backlash that I experienced when it was announced that the film was going to be made, there was so much, I think very justified fear and rage on the part of, women in the se- in you know the sex industry saying wait a minute you're just going to make another you know limiting negative or whatever you're just going to malign us like everybody else does and not include us in the process and i wanted to be like you obviously don't know me that, that's not you what haven't I do. seen the play it's My, not what i do your whole thing is research talking to people getting their stories out through your body 100% and in the case of this film 
I'll, all I was trying to do is get my own story out through my body. So part of me was like, hey, everybody fall the fuck back. Sure. But I also understood that if you have been through hell of watching yourself on screen, Wayne Brady, blah, 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 of course your back is up and you you're expect. worried and you're concerned. And here's what I'll say. This topic needs like a thousand seminars at a thousand universities forever just for mm -hmm. us to begin to unpack what I think is really the 30,000 foot view, which is capitalism, racism, all, everything we were in the streets protesting, you know, every, all the ways in which we understand devaluing George Floyd's life to the point where we let, you know, I mean, I was thinking I'm from New York and I'm back here with you and, uh, New York has a military, the police department is bigger than most armies of That's most correct. countries. That's right. We have a system where we allow the dev such devaluing of black lives in particular mm -hmm. that we all came, we all flooded the streets, the whole world. Mm -hmm. To me, if we could have an honest conversation about the sex industry, you know, sex work, prostitution, whatever we want to call it. We would see that the racial issues, the poverty issues, the you know the the mis same misogyny we're seeing around Roe v. Wade, it's all in this one issue. It's sort of the canary in the coal mine for everything else. But because mm -hmm. we look away, and everybody's like, oh, I don't, I don't do that. I want to be like, um, Pornhub is on your browser, <laughs> like you, you know what I mean. But we don't want to talk about it, and so we're missing this amazing opportunity. I think to have a really honest conversation that would bring us all closer to each other. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. You, you keep coming back to this issue of decriminalization. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting the way the film notes a nuanced point mm -hmm. that if there is decriminalization of sex work, mm -hmm. 
that could be empowering for sex workers. Yes. But if it's, de if it's fully decriminalized to where uh, pimps are also decriminalized, then that could be even more damaging to sex workers. Right. Like what? So here, and I'm not a policymaker. I'm not here to legislate or tell anybody what to do. I'm just saying the fact that women get locked up for this at all is so, it is so anathema to what we say we believe about women that our, you know, we should have self-determination over our own bodies, our own choices, and what we do. You are putting girls and women in jail for selling sex when you don't do the same to the men who are buying it. Are you fucking serious right now? Right, so right. to me, that's just a basic, you know, starting to look at like, oh, these laws are left over from like, I don't know, John Wayne walking into a saloon, you know, slapping a whore across the face and everybody cheers as he shoots a native person. Like that's the era that all of these ideas about women being, you know, it's the whore virgin dichotomy mm -hmm. that we all still live under. Even those of us who are like, I'm, a I'm still scared. I'm still like, I hope my boobs aren't too big. You know, it's really still there. All of that, like women still not being safe to fully be sexual beings in part because we still live in a world where it's like, oh, she was wearing a short skirt. She deserved whatever mm -hmm. she got, right? You have a big moment in the film where the uh, the, the pole dancing teacher yeah, asks maybe. you, tells you to take your shirt off. Right. And you're wearing a bra. I'm wearing a full bra, right? big old bra. But, but it's very difficult for you to even, you start crying. I did, I cried. Before, just at the idea of taking your shirt off, yep. I'm curious why the crying, and then you finally do it. Did you feel the release that she wanted you to feel? So this is the funny thing, right? I, women, uh, and I think it's everybody, but body image, the fear that we're not enough, the fear of like, I'm going to be slut shamed if I'm too sexy, but if I'm not sexy, I'm frigid. Like we just can't, it's like a minefield for most women that I know. And yes, we're more able to talk about, you know, go on Instagram. There's a lot of like, I get all the body positivity and all of that. But I believe still that the fear of being perceived as not lovable, less than, having too much fat. I remember thinking, oh my God, I should have lost weight before this shoot. Like my mind just went through all of this stuff around fear of rejection and fear that my body is not enough. I'm not okay unless I'm a certain whatever. And all of that went through my mind. And I've tried to just listen to her words. I remember her saying, your body carries you through, like fuck what it looks like. Your body carries you through this world. Respect it, like honor it. And that's when I was able to, and even then as I took it off, I was like, oh shit. You know, I was like, I know it carries me through the world, but couldn't it do it with a little bit less, you know, chichos on one side. <laughs> and so I guess what I'm saying is I hope for your listeners, viewers, I'm guessing a lot of women and maybe men, non-binary folks, all of your audience can probably relate to that moment of like, I don't want to whip my shirt off. Or if I do, it's because I've been, you know, like making sure I'm shredded before the thing. That's a big part of our culture. And it's a big part of the way I believe the sex industry operates. None of that hits me. Right. So you would just whip can, the top I off can, anytime. I, yeah, and it's not a politicized no. gesture. It's not a sexualized right. gesture. But also, there's a fine line between <clears throat> the woman who might show too much skin or too much body and thus is whorish, right? right? Oversexual, right. right? Versus the woman who is always clothed and thus may be virtuous, right. may be intellectual, may right. be lovable, right. Right in my family, perhaps. Right, right. Right. Ver, right. So, and you like, have these just two categories. Yeah, just one taking your shirt off on Instagram or public, whatever. Like, oh, then you're right. You can't. You can't be virtuous and slip. No, right? you can't. Right. The whore can put on a shirt once in a while and then she can take it off. Right. But right. I mean, you see. There's this more on, freedom. You see this on Instagram, right? Yes. The girls who wear like a nice full dress and the girls who are on there in swimsuits, right? Toying with like, am I going to take it off? Oh, I'm not. But right. I might if you right. look at my OnlyFans. Right. So, so does that come into it? Of like, if I take my shirt off, yes. Then I'm one of them. I, it's so a hundred percent. And this was part of the challenge is looking at my own judgments, biases, shame that I've internalized and I don't even realize it. I can say all day, oh my God, yes, I look, girl, I'm so free, blah, blah. No, I'm not. Like I'm not. And so doing that personal work was part of my journey with this film. But I'll also say this. 
we're in such a mess in terms of girls and women being being able to have body positivity while at the same time receiving the messages that there is something wrong with our bodies, whatever it is. Something on the gram is always trying to show me how to improve. I'm always getting ads for like whatever it is. As you get older, it's wrinkle cream, as you know, whatever it may be. And I do think as long as we don't feel a core sense of worth and value, like I think you have self-esteem that would allow you to whip your shirt off and not feel like it's going to determine your worth or value or somebody's going to not give you the next podcast because they see you as a slut. I actually do think to myself, oh my God, if I do another, you know, if I go do a main stage TED talk in Vancouver and people are remembering my boobs out, will they take me as seriously? Like I have to really think about stuff like that. Um, And I do think it's on a continuum with decision-making about, do I start an OnlyFans? Do I, you know what I mean? Like, do I uh, do a nude scene in a movie? Like, these are real kind of conversations that women have internally that are still determined ultimately by male gatekeepers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Of course. And I think we don't get to talk about it very much, especially because it's almost like the sex industry, that's the big scary, you know what I mean? That's Mm. the big, the thing you hope your daughter doesn't do. And how can we change our society so that I just remember feeling sad that when I asked these incredible badass, I'm talking about dominatrix, you know, like powerful women who are doing this work, would you want your daughter to do this? That can be a question that's like, well, I don't know, you know. Okay, wait, let me start with you. Yeah. There's no dominatrixes in the film. No, I'm, I did, you know how many interviews, you know how long this movie would be if every interview I did ended up in the, on the But film? no, that you, you, you have clearly, you talk about sex workers. Yeah. But you make a point to, we are focusing on prostitutes. Well. You're not really focusing on dominatrixes who no. would look at it differently, not having actual sex and really playing with. I am empowered. I am right. The prostitute may or may not be empowered in that moment. The dominatrix is like, I am in power and in charge the whole moment. The so whole here's time. here's what I would say to that. First of all, I I say I don't say prostitute. I say sex worker. Okay, okay. And you get to say whatever but, you but, want. But but dominatrixes are also sex workers. Yes, they are. So and how do so how what 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 word should we use to say? You have to ask the individual okay. person. I was okay. saying this the other day. It's almost to me related somewhat to the extremely important work that we all get to do around making sure we know what people's pronouns are, their gender. Like, I don't say, hey, sir, unless I know know. that person has told me, right? So I like to ask people, what is it that you do? How do you want to be identified? Sex workers who have sex and dominatrixes are different. So there are doms who have sex. Yes. Right? There's. I'm telling you, Torre, this blew my mind. The binaries that I think exist where there are people who, like, won't do this or but, they don't but do that. Mo- but many, many doms many won't, doms won't which or defines don't. who they are and the power dynamic that they insist on. Yes. I am hyper-powerful and you have nothing. Yes. Versus and that's the, let's, person the who prostitute. Maybe has less, the, right. Sex who, worker who has less power in the dynamic. I hear you. Here's what I'll share that I learned that was fascinating to me. In capitalism. We have transactions Mm -hmm. where supply and demand and who has the money and who needs the money is everything. Mm -hmm. So even if you are beating someone's ass, peeing on them, doing all the things, and it's you're getting anger out. I've heard amazing, you know, kind of um, how this work of being a dom for many people feels like it's like you know cathartic. All of these things. When I had deep got to have a couple of deep conversations with a couple of people I'm thinking of in particular. And we talked about the whole, is there still a power imbalance because this man gives you $1,000 and even though you scream at him and call him a little bitch and a sissy and all this stuff that he needs you to say, you still need his Venmo to go through. What is that? And uh, we got down to the most basic, again, I was saying the like 30,000 foot view is capitalism. He's giving you money. He might not give you the money, number one. And that happens and people need, we, so I didn't know, then there's someone in the film who talks about this, right? The power dynamics of the relationship itself are very complicated at times. 
you have to make sure that you are protected. And in a system where it's illegal, it's very hard to chase down all the money some John owes you who he, when he said he was going to get it to you. And all of a sudden, you're $10,000 in debt because he said over and over again, I'll get it to you, I'll get it to you, I'll get it to you. That's not as much power as it sounds like. Well, if you started without getting paid first. Fair enough, but there, shit happens. And I guess my point is we wouldn't tolerate that in any other industry, right? Or when mm-hmm. we do, there's there's um, well, there's some kind of recourse, yeah, right? Yeah. There's no re- – so I guess here's what I'm saying. Well, that's what the pimp does. The pimp is the army who makes sure that she gets paid. Right, but that couldn't be more problematic for so many reasons. Sure, sure, and sure, it's sure. why so many women are like, wait a minute. You know, I I was saying to someone in the film, like, if we live in a world where women actually get to keep all that money, like the guy who owns OnlyFans, old white dude, of course, owns OnlyFans, right? They made 800 million, whatever. They made a decent amount of money during the pandy. And- uh, ah! And what happened with that money is they get to say, I think there's a woman kind of figureheads, you know, CFO person. So that's very important. So it doesn't look like just a guy is doing it. But if they paid out, you know, all this money that they say they did, it sounds great until you realize they have like 200 million content creators or something. I don't know if I have the math exactly right. But because of that, the actual money- Sarah, that would mean half of America is a content creator on OnlyFans. Well, it's not just America, it's global. Okay, okay. But my, and he's, it's, I think, he, I, I hate to say this, I think he's from the Ukraine. But the point <laughs> is, sorry, just to like complicate everything impossibly. But the point is, here's my point. I thought everybody's getting rich. No, Black China and like two other famous people are getting rich. Everybody else is getting like on average 40 bucks a month. There's so here, that, that's my on. point is that this is not- we need to look at how there can be more power in the hands of the women. There can be more money in the hands of whoever is actually doing this. And I love the, fa- it's, to me, it's a, it, I thought it was true. And then I found out it's more of a fantasy that if you are a dom, you automatically are completely in control of that relationship. The, the monetary factor complicates it in ways that we don't like to look at, but it's still the same power really? dynamic. Because she's, I, I mean, I feel like the seller generally has a lot of power in any in any transaction. Yes. Um, this is just different. The legality issue, the vulnerability to. If I mean, like I'm saying, I want to give you power. I'll kiss your feet, yes, whatever. But you won't say that at work. And if I, right. I can't come after you and sue you, like you have to understand there's. So, but once I've paid you, yeah, let's say the Venmo's yeah, gone different. through. Yeah. Which most of the time it's going to go through. Then. Listen, ladies, um, everybody out there who's a dom, if you have any issues, you're calling Torrey. No, 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 no. And letting him know that he's going to go after your money and make sure you're. But once I've paid you. Yeah. And I'm committing to, okay, you're. dominated. Yes, you're in power. Yeah. You beat me up, whatever, whatever. Yeah. So listen, She's the powerful actor. Yes. Here, I'm just going to put this out there. So there's this concept of something that I learned about recently, a moral injury. And the idea is that if you do harm to another person somewhere in you, you know, either psychologically or however we want to think about that, whether it's, uh, it's this is going to sound weird, but it's the same argument people make around, hey, I'm, you know, I play sports. So what's wrong with me using my body to make money? And you could say that. And yet- if you have sex to make money, it is slightly different to me from what I understand from the research I've seen to have sex with someone for money versus being a soccer player. The difference is, yes, you're using your body. Yes, you may get injured in both, whatever else, but there are actual neurochemicals. Like there's something that happens in your brain around sex as a tra- as work that we have to just look at for more of the layers that it creates in the job. It just, there are occupational hazards that don't exist in but soccer. Deep. Yeah, yeah. But most doms are not having, having sex. sex. So here, this is, again, I did not understand that even if you are not having sex, there is still a relationship in which you are- it's made, sexual. It's sexual, number one, but number two- do you control completely control the means of production of the thing that you're no. making money for? No, you no. don't. And as long and none of us do, right? Like sure. that that was one of the most fascinating things for me about making this movie is I was like, "Oh, I've been through trauma and I Hollywood is exploitative." So I'm no I'm not on this continuum in the same way, but I think we have to get honest that if every job pretty much is like 
a lot of times having to do shitty stuff for shitty people. You don't want to do it. You don't have much protection. You don't have much recourse. Add sex to that and not being protected by the law, but instead like exploited by the law or criminalized by the law. It's just a much bigger conversation that we need to have to get honest. Because I love your question about doms and it looks on the surface like they would be completely running that shit. And like, I should, if listen, the truth is, if that were the case for me, I'd be a dom. Or I'd be like, send your daughter to dom school because that's that shit where you're going to be able to be empowered, have catharsis, do whatever but you want. A, but even if you're not having sex, there's 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 chemicals, there's emotions there's that a are whole happening. That we don't want to look at. We don't want to talk about the reality that for people who do this work, there's impact. There's real, um, you know, <laughs> there's impact on all of us from being in an exploitative capitalist system. When you add sex to that, it's just a conversation that. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market. Dot com slash Toray. Thrivemarket.com slash Toray. On March 16th, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamine, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Needs to be had more honestly to be, I don't know what the best way I would put it, but I, I guess I would just say, as long as we live in a misogynist culture, sex work is going to have elements of misogyny because everything does. And so to pretend that this is the one area where we don't have to worry about exploitation, to me is crazy. very crazy. And I don't like it because it ends up impacting not only the women who choose it, but women who didn't choose it and are either coerced or trafficked or whatever else. So this is a little bit of an off-ball question, but, but you talked in this conversation, and I believe in the film, about thinking about being a sex worker. I did. Did you think about having an experience with a sex worker as part as of part your- As part of my, my yes. exploring the field. So this is so funny. Usually I let the characters talk a little bit, but I love you, so I love talking to you. We've been friends a long time. I have to say that part of my goal with the film also was not just to do a deep dive into my stuff and my thoughts about all of this or my questions, because I just don't know, but also, so- you know this because you've seen mm. the film. Hi, Trey. Um, I'm Bella. I'm like super excited to be here. Um, I just want to say welcome. that like the whole hi. Thank you for having me. Um, I, you know, for older people, I mean, like, not that you're old. You and Sarah Jones are like old, but you are like more like chronologically advanced people. <laughs> Wait, but, you're like, a millennial or a zoomer? I'm a zoomer, which you know how old you are because you just called me a zoomer and we don't say that really, but that's what do fine. You, what do you say? I don't. I'm my age. Like I am okay. in college, and like I don't have to put a label on myself. You go to Vassar. No, uh, Sarah Lawrence. Okay, 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 okay. okay. Fair, fair, what fair, up, fair. Whatever. That's like, I feel stereotyped. Potato, by tomato. The tomato, tomato. Anyway, <laughs> I actually don't eat those because they're tubers and it's a whole experience. But um, so my point is that um, I feel that like the whole conversation about sex work and like, like for Sarah Jones to like give a conversation like that where she doesn't dominate, like not to say that, because I don't want to like be here in white woman's plane yeah, either. Yeah. But like, I just feel that like letting sex workers have the space to like be in the space, you know, and like 
have their voices be like what we hear. That was hopefully what was part of the film. Yeah. Um, but like, and it accomplishes that. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, like, I don't want to speak for anyone because again, I don't want a white woman explain. <laughs> uh, anyway, Bella, Bella will go on and on. But my point is that she is very staunchly pro sex work. Yes. And I think I understand why. Like, I see that she's like it's freedom and it's offering women a chance to like do what they love and and then. Hi there, it's me. I'm Lorraine. Hi, Therese, sweetheart. I remember you. By the way, Mazel Tov, I understand you're a third Jewish. I am. I am. I knew it all the I time. I was, I <laughs> you know, a lot of a, Jewish people go, I never, look at the nose. I never had a doubt. I didn't want to say, but, uh, you know, if Sarah, she's only like 10%, but she's very culturally Jewish and black and all of it. Happy to be in the tribe. I'm happy to have you. An MOT. You know what that means? You do now. <laughs> anyway, so the point is that uh, you're talking all about sex work, sex workers, bup, bup, bup. I think the most uh, important part that I learned is that uh, the society for so long, I never thought about it, ladies of the evening, we called them, or, you know, uh, the idea was that you just don't talk about it. You never talk about it. You sweep it under the rug. And, uh, you know, in the play, I talk about at my age, I won't tell you my real age, but let's just say I, I, I like to think of myself as living proof that over 80 is the new 70. <laughs> but even when you get much older in age, why is it so bad that we, we you know, we can't talk about sex? It's on the computer. Yeah. I went, I looked, I'm not going to give details, but people of all ages should have healthy ways to look at sex. We should. And we when did. I was a girl, we would never, never. We did. At one point in the film, my man Rashid <laughs> tries to uh, uh, get the sex workers to, like, can I be down? Did he succeed? He was very interested. I can't, I'm not going to tell too much. People have to go to the movie and see it. But Rashid, I don't, I don't have his hat here, but... It was good. My dude, Torrey. Oh, shit, I know this nigga. I mean, you interview like... Everybody dope in hip hop. Everybody. Anyway, <laughs> all right, I'm the only dude Savage Jones brought with up to be with Saray right now. But I'm just saying, like, as a dude myself, I was surrounded by very attractive females. <laughs> I don't think we should have to be like, oh, you know, whatever. I'm trying not to get canceled so I can't be attracted to these dope ass females <laughs> that I met. So I'm saying, I told Savage Jones. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, we need to talk about this and everything, but, you know, we could still smash. I mean, you know, if it's an agreement, consensual, whatever, how come I can't pay for that shit? So I'm trying to, you know, appreciate it with my, you know what I'm saying, with my dollars, my buying power, whatever. Anyway, Rashid was tricky because he does, he is like most men. I mean, you wanted to go to Hooters. And you're Torre. Like, you know what I mean? He's not, you're, he doesn't have a kind of intellectual underpinnings that can be like, I went ironically to Hooters. <laughs> but I think that we raise men in a society. We went, I went for the rice. The, 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 the James Beard, obviously the, 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 the two, three Michelin Very stars gutted. on those Hooters wings. But I think Rashid, like many other men, is sent mixed messages. The idea is like women, you know, you watch porn because- because you do, it's a red-blooded male thing to do. But then it's confusing because I and I found this out. It ca- it actually exacerbates anxiety and depression in men. Watching porn exacerbates anxiety and depression because How? it iso- well it isolates you. Learn to have to do it in the dark with a blue light in your face or whatever. Maybe you do it in the but there's something about not actually connecting with another person that acclimates you to not being able to connect with another person and still get off. So, and I'm, I'm these are, these are technical terms. Well, still get also, off. It, I'll, you also think about it would distance you from your partner. Even yes. if you have an official partner yes. or, or intermittent partners. Yes. Because these amateur women yes. who've been amateur, sexually speaking, who've only been with a certain number of men. Right. Are not professionals. They are not competing with what these that is women correct. who are and yet we try. We are encouraged to try, right? I can't tell you how many listicles on magazines are like, "This is how you blow him so that it competes with the porn." It's just a mess. It's like really, it teaches people. Now we're into call her daddy territory. I mean, we're <laughs> hey, how did we get you here? Go on, call her. Daddy. I should go on this call her daddy. Is- Let's tell them. Yeah. Okay. Great. For this film. For this film, I think it's very relevant. But I, in all seriousness. We don't want to shut down our sex lives. We want to have a good time. Yes. But I think the illusion is if you like 
drink your porn from a fire hose is somehow going to make your sex life better when it does the opposite. And I think I'm not trying to shut down the porn industry or sex work or anything. I'm just trying to say, hey, are we actually accomplishing what we say we are? Are we having better sex? Are we having good, you know, interactive relationships? Part of you, not the let's say not the porn. Yeah. Well, let's say the, porn. the sex work. Uh huh. Could it, it sex be part of? I almost want to say a balanced diet. Right. In a given person's wife, is only willing to do certain things because, like, that's what she's used to and cool, whatever. Right. Or husband. Do, or husband. Hi. I don't. Want, I don't want to do that. I don't yeah. want to do that. Okay. Cool. I'll go but every over once here. in a while. I go over here. Uh huh. Get what I need. Yes. And come, and so my expectations from you are for you to do what you want to do. Yep. But the things that are off the menu. I go here to get should, those. Is, is that okay? I love the sound of that. Okay. And the question is, how does it actually play out in the relationship? I don't know if you've been in a relationship where, like, and, you know, it gets into interesting conversations about poly and ethical non-monogamy and all of that. I think the core part, again, coming up to that drone level view is if everybody has healthy dynamics in their life, mm-hmm. access to healthcare and schools and housing and great jobs, like I think we're forgetting how much some of this starts from a place of like survival sex, people being miserable in their lives, mm. like not having, you know, a, a job that is fulfilling or like makes enough money to pay the bills. When we start from a place of, at least for me, most of us in our society right now, there's a lot. People are struggling. There's a lot of like mental health stuff and, you know, it, uh, financial health stuff and marital stuff. It's all in the mix. If you are like, I'm barely making it. Let me just go find some gonzo porn because my wife won't do that. I don't think that's actually going to be as helpful as we think from the standpoint of if we had a society where everybody's basic needs were taken care of, we weren't just inundated with like unhoused people and lack of health care, lack of education, lack of access to like decent housing and justice and all of that. If we all kind of basically had our needs met and society was pretty healthy, pretty democratic, bring on all the fucking sexy whatever you want. And let's all pick and choose from a place of you know, being fairly stable and fairly connected. But I'll just say for myself, I know that when I'm like, let me go over here and grab this porn too often, it might be that I'm using it so that I don't have to feel what's going on in my life that's hard for me. Mm. And I don't think sex workers should be put in a position of having to be the kind of receptacle for society's ills. We should be able, we should make sure that I mean, this is kind of a bigger, like I said, it's a bigger conversation about who does what and why, for what reasons, who has access. It's unfortunate that black and brown girls with less access to resources and safety are far more likely to end up in this work, not of their choice. I'm not talking about the women who choose. It's different. I think that's a whole other conversation that, again, I'm also not an expert in. I just think we need to be honest that as a society- it is far more likely that if you are, and I was talking with Trace Lissette about this, a brilliant actress who she was reminding me that there are a lot of white women who have less money. They just don't have the money. And so, yes, they make this choice and they take care of themselves because it's better than working at Walmart, as we say in the film. But is that really democracy? Like, are we really making no. sure that women have every option available and then choose sex work if you prefer that to being a teacher, a doctor, or a lawyer? That's great. I'm saying if you have no choices, we have to look more carefully at, as we say in the film, is it a choice if it's something you have to do to survive or Mm. if it's your only option? So one of the things we get in this film is, like you just showed us, the characters. And this has been your thing throughout your career, that you have an extraordinary ability to inhabit lots of characters who are very different than you. And you get way in there physically. I mean, like the audience cannot see when you were doing Lorraine, the older sister, the hand is shaking, but then the body language for Bella, was it Bella? Bella. Mm -hmm. Is is completely different. I felt her to be this young intellectual person versus the, the, you know, maybe has Lorraine, maybe has Parkinson's, Rashid's body. I mean, like you inhabit it in the mouth. And you've been doing this for decades. And I'm just curious about you as an actor and your Mm. ability to inhabit very different people 
from the, the, the diction and the tongue to the body to, like, how do you do that? <laughs> you know, all the characters come, I mean, it started when I was little and you and I were talking about the whole, you know, multicultural thing and what are we made of? And my family is a mix of black, white, we have Latinx relatives. My On my mom's side, we have Jewish and Christian relatives. I had Caribbean, you know, like I had all these voices in my ears from the time I was little. So it makes me think of someone who grew up in a musical household and maybe just has like perfect pitch or something. They just hear music and can, you know, kind of play it back for you or sing it back. And for me, it was like, you know, my cousin is sitting at the table and of course I'm going to be able to talk about that. You know what I mean? It's just a normal thing. Like I never even thought about it. It's just in my ears and then I give it back. I can't help it. This is part of the thing. And it just started when I was small. I also think part of it was like, if there was like dysfunctional moments in my upbringing, I was like, I'll be right back. Let me send somebody else. Hello, I'm going to be British. Nobody's going to, I'm, I'm just going to escape for the moment. I'm not allowed to leave the table, but I can talk like this and you can't get to me. So you can't make me eat these tomatoes, which I hate, even though we talked about that earlier. But so I think some of it was that. But in all seriousness, I, you know, in the film, my name is Nereda. Hi, everybody. Hi, hi, Torrey Land out there. <laughs> Hello out there in Torrey Land. Um, but, you know, like Sarah Jones, I feel like that she really feels like she's a part of everybody. It's kind of weird. Like, I don't want to tell her that I think she probably needs a prescription or something like that. But that she feels so connected when she closes her eyes and she's doing this, she cannot see herself. And we've discovered the hard way. One time she was doing like some characters she was performing in a TV show and she caught a glimpse of the black lady that she is, who's like 5'11 or whatever, and was playing somebody else at the moment who was like 5'3 and like South Asian and completely different. And she almost lost it because she was like, that's not me. I can see who I am. I'm making air quotes. I can see who I am when I'm in that character. And it is so deep. I can see their physicality. I can see everything about them. I can see what they ate for breakfast, that they love, you know, dulce de leche. Like, I can see everything. And anyway, that was, narrator took me someplace meta. But I do find that as long as I don't see myself, I'm gone. I'm not there anymore. And I've talked to some of my mentors, like, you know, Meryl Streep, who's one of the executive producers. She's the executive producer of the said, film. My mentor is Meryl. <laughs> you like, met, Meryl Streep. I'm, I'm just saying. Yeah. You, I mean, I can, say, I can print you right back ah! in this moment. So, touche. But, you know, uh, Lily Tomlin's another one. John Leguizamo. These are people who I've been fortunate to now get to say, like, hey, I'm weird and you're weird like this too. Do you do this? And I think we all, because of either... They're just different factors, but I think a lot of it is from a childhood imagination in which you can really disappear into mm. being someone else completely. I mean, Meryl is a chameleon. Mm -hmm. I'm sure she could do it because mm -hmm. she's probably the greatest actress, actor of mm -hmm. our time. Mm -hmm. But part of what astounds me about your talent is that you do it with speed. Mm. You can give me three entirely different people within the 30 second and snap, tap, 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 yeah. right? And, 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 you know, I, I mean... I haven't asked Meryl to do it, but like- <laughs> Meryl, she, please join us. But she's like, us. here's a script. Yeah. Okay, I will become this woman. Yeah. And I am in it. Yeah. Um, as opposed, and I know you can do that. Yeah. But can she flip from, like within 30 seconds through three people? And I really believe like three different people are sitting in front of me like- I don't know. I I'm, feel like we're doing like a TikTok dance challenge, except it's me and Meryl. We're going to like do a no, challenge. There's no challenge. No, there's but, no challenge. But, 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 but your yes. ability to flip- within seconds yeah. is part of what is astounding. Thank you for saying that. I mean, I really appreciate it. I do think it is, there's this like meme, there's a joke going around that's like, people are like, I love your personality. Like, thank you, it's a trauma response from childhood. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you yeah, know, yeah. I really was able to like, I went to the United Nations school. Some of my closest friends were South Asian. And I remember learning I just, I would absorb who people were, teachers, friends, parents, whatever. And then if we wanted to play hooky, I would just be somebody's mother on the phone to down, because you, we used to do that. Um, you could like call the nurses off. Oh yes, I, I had no scruples. I would call the nurse's office and say, I'm so sorry, Gita is not feeling well and you are going to have to leave her in the car park so that she can come. I will, we will send the chauffeur, we'll come and get her. And thank you so much. Fantastic. I heard that her grades are doing much better. You are fantastic school. Whatever, I would just, do that and we would all laugh and it wasn't I just want to be clear it also wasn't cultural appropriation it was like 
I don't do punching down, like especially as a black woman, because all of it is on a scale of anti-blackness. For me, it's sort of a recl, you know, it's sort of a claiming of everybody in a way that I love. You just did like. Indian, British, Jamaican, um, Jewish. Is there any accent that you're like, that's a little hard. That one's a little out of my bag and I'm trying to get it, but it's like, ah. You know, I had, at one point I struggled with, um, like I want, here's what happens for me. There are regions in the world where because of the language that's spoken in that region, or the languages, the set of languages that are spoken, when someone is speaking English, they all sound similar. So I don't do multiple Eastern European accents. If people are like, okay. I'm from Estonia, I'm like, well, I already do a Russian. And so I know that a Russian speaker and an Estonian, uh, Estonian speaker, when it's time to speak English, the sounds are going to be similar. And so I don't do that. Um, but uh, I would say, you know what I love is hybrid. I love hybridity. And what's happened because of migration patterns and how we are all so global, what I love that's hard is if you take, say, a South Asian person who's living in France. And so if you speak French, you know, in English, it's it would be like what I was just saying, like, oh, drop my daughter down here, et cetera. And if you're in France, I remember getting on a flight, an Air, Air France flight at one point, and the... A uh, flight attendant was of South Asian descent speaking French. And so it was, Mesdames et Messieurs, vous, nous voudrions vous offrir quelque chose à boire ce soir. And I was like, this is fucking dope. <laughs> this is this is it. Like, I'm so excited. Like, this is what's happening in the world. And so I kind of love that, you know, there's mashups of everything all the time, everywhere. You do men very well. Thank Talk you. as an actor, <laughs> how, how do you do men so well? What are the... Some of the differences you see in making a man versus a woman and yeah. making your men seem authentic and yeah. not a character because you're you're not doing caricatures. No. You're really living really in these in people. Here. Yeah. It's I, I am like a human Airbnb. These yeah. motherfuckers live. They 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 definitely take up space. But I would say um in the same way that probably if you ask most women. You know, we live in a patriarchal uh, patriarchal culture, right? And Hollywood especially, which set, gives us a lot of our cultural touchstones for stories and who matters and all of that. We all, many of us, especially my generation, we grew up watching the male hero. Maybe if there's a woman in the movie, it's his wife. or mm-hmm, it's, uh, mm-hmm, But mm-hmm. we identify with a male protagonist. It was in literature. It was in whatever, you know, for the most part, standard meant male. Mm -hmm. And so I learned very well what the inside of a man's thinking might be or what, you know, a man's kind of experience was going to be. And I don't even have to think about, you know, man spreading in the chair, taking up space. I want my shoulders bigger. I want to sit up, you know, I want to, yeah, me, it's not even a question. It's just right there. So I think most women writers, for example, and um, you know, actors, performers, we've watched, we've had to study you all. You all don't have to study us. So I often right. will see men over-exaggerate their mannerisms to try to portray a woman if they're, you know, doing a character or sketch or whatever. A lot of the time, I think many men haven't had kind of a, you know, an entire concentration of female like images. In your men, I see a lack of apologetic. Yeah. I don't have don't to ha- apologize for who I am. I'm right. just who I am. They Send would whip their up. shirt off. If you yes. asked Rashid, he'd be like, What's the problem? yeah, I mean, I'm saying, I, yeah. hey, you know, know what I mean? Maybe I had some extra pizza, but it's more to love. You know what I mean? <laughs> like he wouldn't, he would be like, yeah, take that shit off. Let's get to it. You know? So yes. 100%. But, he, but in everything the woman is saying, I mean, like I read, like women are trained socially to not be direct. Oh my God. Oh. You can't get shit done. Like I, it's funny. I'm working with with an assistant in New York right now. She was like, "Oh, I'll get this done. Pretty privilege, just like that." And it wasn't obnoxious. It wasn't. She wasn't. She was stating a fact. She was like, "I will bat my eyes at these people, and they will transport these items." And it's just a fact. We learn the survival skills and traits that are baked into a misogynist culture. If we are underestimated and disempowered, we're going to use that. We're going to say, oh, like, oh, I'm a damsel in distress. And you know what I you mean? You know what I see when my wife says, okay, our daughter or our son is at so-and-so's house. Uh-huh. Call the mom and arrange when you'll pick her up. Uh-huh. And I'll be like, 
hey, what's up? I'll be around about 7.30. Right. Okay, bye. And she's like, no, you can't do it right. like that. Right, And And then she calls. She's like, how, how are, are you? you? How's everything? <laughs> Loved what I saw. Oh, my God. Your post was so. Yep, I know. Yep. Oh, my God. It ta- everything takes longer. What time is good for you? What time's good for no, you? T- and then she's yep. going to go, what time is good, good for, for you? you. Yep. And we're dancing around yep. the point before yes. we even get there. Lots is of- 730 okay? Because I could come later. Yeah. Right? Off, yep. off ramp, right? Yep. No, no. 730 is fine. But yep. maybe you should come later. Yeah. And I'm like, and oh, my God. And you just let me know. So- and if anything changes, oh, it's so I'm passive aggressive. I'm pulling my and here's the thing. We can call it passive aggression or we can understand that these are survival traits mm. that women have had to use. My mother couldn't get a credit card by herself in mm. the A man had to sign. This is the 80s. We're not talking about 1920. Right. Right. So I think we need to understand that misogynist culture, whether it's misogyny, patriarchy, uh, you know, cis white capitalist, whatever, that long thing that's like, you know, what if somebody said it really fast, Bella was like, yeah, it's, you know, white supremacist, capitalist, heteropatriarchy, like, <laughs> duh. Like she, it just rolls off her tongue. But like, that's a whole intersecting, as Kimberly Crenshaw would teach us, like mm. this is intersectionality of so many ways that marginalized people learn either from the generations before them who then pass it down or from, you know, contemporary life, how you have to use whatever ways we are marginalized in these cultures to try to make things as manageable as possible for ourselves. And so unfortunately to men, it just looks like, why did it take you five minutes to say what takes me 10 seconds? And the answer is it's baked into the culture and we didn't start this shit. We just have to skillfully navigate, which sucks. I don't want to take five minutes. I don't want to have to have 10,000 pleasantries to fucking, but, and, and at the same time, it's also not disingenuous. I really do care. I'm like, how are you? Like, I do kind of care, but it's, you know, as you said, it's know, right? complicated. My wife's like, so you just <laughs> Rita, we're so up. sorry. Did you go in? Did you have a moment? Like, so I have right. to hang out yeah, with you, you because you had a play day? Beep, beep. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't really love them like that. Like, right. I, can I get my child, come back home? Sure, watch the game. Like, why we we got to have a sit and a talk and a chat and a tea? There will, I was going to say, there will be food. There will be discussion of the food. Is it paleo? What's happening? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I do a Twitter poll. If I pick my child up from a play date, do, do I, I have, have to have to a hangout a- with the family or can I just pick her up and go? Oh, God. Oh, God. There's this al- is all, yeah. There's also a fear of Hollywood in sell by date. Yeah. That you're like, as this idea, this play... Um, about sex workers moves into Hollywood, will it be taken over mm-hmm. by the machine mm-hmm. and I guess vanillaized mm-hmm. and, and 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 made to be, you know, sort of weaker than it that it's meant to be, and that's yeah. that's something that you have to fight against. Yeah, I mean, there's an oversimplification, right? Hollywood's job is to tell you a story. It's a hero's journey. It has three acts. It's the same thing over and over again, and that shit works, right? The Avengers, that yes. shit makes money. I mean, my agents are like, why can't you just make the Black Lady Avengers? <laughs> but um, so here's the thing. If I want to tell my story, because yes, the film is about the sex industry. It's really about a personal journey of mine. And I try to pull in knowledgeable people who have lived experience of being a sex worker. They're in the sex industry right now, or they were. I want to hear from them, unlike what I did in my play, which I mean- Obviously, I interviewed and researched, but what you see on stage is me embodying stories that I was able to write based on other people. This was an opportunity to say, let's actually listen to and watch and befriend someone who you might not know is a sex worker automatically. You see her pick up her kid from school. You don't know that's how she pays her bills. Mm. How about you develop, you know, a sense of like fondness instead of that's just some hooker in a funny scene in Curb Your Enthusiasm who's not a person, Mm. right? So- that idea in Hollywood is a lot easier for stuff to get over. You just mentioned Twitter. It, everything turns into like, you know, a short soundbite that is much harder to really fully humanize and let Hollywood kind of like the ways that I think the studio system operates. It's about like make the thing that's going to work, make a sequel to the thing that worked last time, make the same things over and over again. I'm not saying all Hollywood movies are terrible. No, I'm saying if you want to tell stories that don't fit into the traditional mold, you probably are going to be a little more leery of the Hollywood machine. 
last thing, uh, and I ask everyone who comes on the show, what does being black mean to you? Mm. And how does that come into the work? Because part of what you are doing in somewhat in this, but in all your work, like here's a variety of people. A lot of them are black, but you can do Jewish people. You can do anybody. And you can be but, black Jews, as yeah, we know. As, as hi, we, hey, hi. Hey, hey. Yeah. hey hi. <laughs> but, um, but what does being black mean to you? Yeah. I mean, it is evolving. It's ever evolving. I I was I jo- half joked about this because on Instagram I ended up doing a bunch of lives because I couldn't do live performances during the pandemic, and uh, I remember saying, "I feel like I've been a palatable negress all my life. Really? I've been this like bridge that's you know I can I can go to the White House and not embarrass the Obamas. I can you know like I've been that kind of bridge person." who I've had all my life, I've had white people be like, oh, you just explain it so much, but you're not really black. And I had, I used to think, okay, this makes me safer. And then I realized this is a fucking problem. I don't want to be the person who keeps everybody so comfortable that they don't feel like they have to change. So I think for me, part of the evolution of what it means to be black is to self-identify my own being a person of mixed race experience, but very much black from a distance who experiences racism on a continuum. I'm not in a prison right now. I'm not, you know, experiencing the same level of just uncut racism that some people live in this country, but I very much, I, to this day, I, you know, I used to be married to a white guy. I used to let him get my cab because I'm not going to stand there and wait for a cab driver to pass me by because I'm black and I might be going to the Bronx in quotes. Um, so I'm very aware of my lack of privilege around being black and I want my fucking joy. I do not want to let the larger culture of white supremacy and anti-blackness dictate my level of enjoyment of my life. I really want to sort of, as an, in a way of honoring my black roots and black ancestors who didn't have the opportunities to live more f- full lives. I mean, we were just talking about uh, Elizabeth Cotton mm. being a genius who had to scrub floors because that's just how white people, you know, because whites gone white. <laughs> so I would like to be able to live my life no matter how whites are gone white. <laughs> and I I get to love white people while still knowing, even my relatives, what y'all might do. And I want to enjoy my blackness. I think that's, if, to me, it, it, blackness means um, defying white supremacy Um, and no longer living in reactivity to it. That's our show. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and maybe this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Torrey Show is written by me, Torrey, and produced by Jennifer Brown. Our editors, Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington and Nick Carp. Our bookers, Claudia Jean, and we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down.